for coaches by coaches. This is Soccer Chat with Nick Rizzo and Sean Sutterling. The, the best interviews are ones where uh, we kind of have like a little gap year between the last time that we do them. I think the last time that we talked to you was the Chicago convention, maybe? Like right yeah, before it, maybe? maybe? Yeah. Um, and you have done so much since then. Um, <laughs> and and we got a little bit of time to kind of go over that, but we've got Laura Harvey with us uh, from OL Rain and the NWSL. Um, I have to start off by saying that uh, my daughter and I went to the game against Louisville okay. uh, with you all because it was uh, bring the dogs to the park night. <laughs> so we brought our dog with us, and it was so cool because I kept telling my daughter, I was like, I've talked to the, their coach before. <laughs> um, and she just thought that was so cool. Um, I think when it comes to coaching, based off the roster you have, uh, I, I don't know much about like the insides of the front office, things like that. I think you have the most fun coaching job uh, that there is. And I think – how much of that is from the players and how much of that is just kind of what you bring to it? Um, yeah, probably a little bit of both. I think that, you know, I have the best job in the world. I truly believe that. And I think the players have the best job in the world too. So I think that the fact that um, if people don't enjoy that process, then I feel like they're missing out. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that's just my personality. I, I like to have fun and enjoy it and... Uh, live every day like it you know it matters and uh i think that's just the way that i, I sort of function i can't i can't do it the other way yeah what uh for you i mean obviously like just kind of where this team has gone since you've gotten there like it's been really awesome to watch these levels of players and it's always funny to where like we look at other sports where you get the conglomerates that's my big word for the day um of high quality players and when they all get on the same team sometimes it's hard because there's only one ball yeah. With your team and the roster that you have, I remember watching your warm-ups in that game against Louisville and just the I, I, and you know the teamwork or there, there's just the chemistry with these top-level athletes that you have on your team that uh, you know how does that how does that chemistry come around uh, to where those players look like they truly love playing for each other? Yeah, I think we we have a system, we have a philosophy and the players buy into it because I think they see that if they do buy into it as a collective, then we have success. Um, and I think, you know, ultimately the players at the, at the level that we work at, they want to win. And, you know, a lot, most of them that I've co- that I coach want to win in spite of themselves. And I think that when you have that sort of collective, you know, desire that's where you can really go and you can always have outliers who you know are willing to take the limelight and push it on which you need in a team um and sometimes within that there's an ex there's an expectation and an acceptance that you know the the standout player might not do certain things that are within the system but they might end up winning you the game and i think there's this fine line between managing that expectation and managing that acceptance from them and others that that's how it's going to be. And I think that's one of the things that I've learned over time is not everyone's the same, not every team's the same. Um, so every time you go into these new seasons, you know, you can't you can't expect things to be exactly how they were before. So you've got to constantly, like, cultivate that. And I think uh, that's a big part of it. What was something when you when you got to, to the rain that – you wanted to kind of put your stamp on and say, you know, this is this is the first thing we're going to get going with. Yeah, and I, obviously this this is a unique situation, really, because I started the club and then I left and then I came back. Yeah. 
So I think one of the things when I came back was that I wanted to make it clear that it, it wasn't going to be the same as it was before. But it could be a different version of what that looked like. And I was still who I am, but I'm an, I'm an evolved version of that. So I think that was a big part of it. And that I believed that the, the people, the players, um, the system, you know, the talent that, that we had on the team could be successful. Yeah. So I think, you know, getting them to buy into that too was a, was a big part of that. Do you have anything? Well, I've got all the questions. <laughs> I, I know you want to ask questions. Go for it. <laughs> so, what's your why? You know, why do you do this every day? Um, honestly, because I, I, I always answer this, used to answer this question pre-pandemic with this answer. I don't think I'm any good at anything else. I don't think I am good at anything else but this. But I think what the pandemic also taught me, because I was in a job in, I was working in the U20s during the pandemic where international travel was you know non-existent pretty much that I truly love it and I enjoy it and it's I feel like football's just been part of who I am as I've grown up you know like sort of that traditional legacy of like life and without it and without its place in my life I don't really know what my life looks like without it but until it was sort of taken away from me, I didn't really understand that. So my, my answer to everyone is always, I honestly don't think I'm very good at anything else, but I truly do love it. I think it's just part of who I am and it's always been part of my life and I never really understood until it was sort of taken away from me for a little bit, how much of a love I truly have for it. What would be the number two thing that you're good at? <laughs> like that, a, was, that was a softball honestly, question. being a fan of Adele. That's my second best talent <laughs> that I have. It's been a, a fan of Adele. I love Adele. First album, Chasing Pavement's a great album. Yeah, excellent. Chasing Pavement's a great album. I'll have to check that one out. Um, with with these personalities that you have on a team, because you mentioned that you know, not every player is the same, and I think yeah. that's something that us as college coaches deal with, and you, obviously club level, youth level, you're going to get that no matter where. So for you, you know, my, my wife's a, an educator, and she always talks about, you know, the days of where you just taught the one lesson the same way, those days are gone. You have to figure out how each person learns. So when you're, you're all training sessions, how do you really make sure that you tailor the sessions to those, I don't want to say precise, but just those various players, because they all may pick something up a different way. Yeah, I think it's, you know, sort of feel and vibe of what, what you go in, what, what you want to get out of it. Um, how they fit within the structure of what you're trying to achieve within a session um, and just sort of getting to know them as a person and what makes them tick so you know for some players they don't need to be in every session and be the you know the focal point of it for some they feel that they're not ready unless that happens mm -hmm. so I think like that that sort of uh, you know vibe and getting the feel of them as human beings is a big part of that the uh the, the, the bar seems to be pretty high for you all next year uh, with, with the performances from this year I would, I would venture to say most people would say that they expect uh, another big performance for you all you know kind of going into the next season you know as a coaching staff now because we like we know how we prepare now in the off season for you all what's it like at the NWSL level in this time period now getting ready obviously the the World Cup's coming up this summer so kind of what's the preparation for your coaching staff getting ready for for the upcoming season 
Yeah, I think, well, two things. We've changed training facilities, so that's been a big shift. And pretty much the majority of the coaching staff has changed, except me and the goalkeeper coach. Because Sam Lately got the head coaching job at Houston, yeah. so we've we've been re, we've been hiring new staff. So I think the this off season has been relatively unique in the sense that it's about educating new people on on what we want to do and how we want to work. And I think the first part of when we get back together and we're training and we're working with each other every day, that's still going to be a process. Um, but it's just pre, like you just prepare. I think you've just got to try and prepare as best you can for everything. So in the, the way that we build the squad, the way that we prepare for what we've got coming up in regards to when World Cup players are going to be there and not, I think that's a big part of what we have to try and do. But the biggest thing has been training facility and staff. What does something that you may have felt was a... or something you guys need to improve upon for, for next season? I think my biggest takeaway was we, we honestly went on a really good journey last year on the field of like things that we needed to be better at and... But I think that the ultimate sort of thing to get over the hump of the playoffs was how many winners do we have? And, and I think we know how we motivate the winners. Yeah. And, and if they're not quite got that DNA of a winner in them, how do we motivate them in the toughest of moments, in the tangible moments, to still be able to achieve? Because they have talent. That, mm. That's something that exists. They're, they're a talented... They're hard working, they're, but in the really crucial moments, how do we motivate, inspire, and develop these players who just don't automatically have, you know, the, the special source mm. in them, and 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 letting them understand that it's okay, but now we need to find different ways in which yeah. we make them, you know, make them tick and push them on. I I also have to think like when you coach, it seems like you're having so much fun. I'm the same way. Like if we score, I'm celebrating. I don't care. Like. Your little white line of a coach's box don't matter to me. Yeah. Um, and I lose control of my body. I punched a corner flag this year. I don't know why. I just ran down the sideline to celebrate. It was right there. I gave it a little Rocky Balboa action. Um, how much fun are your training sessions? Because I think that's the thing where, like, most of the time what you see in a game is a translation from what happened in the yeah. training sessions. So kind of what's a, a session environment like for, for your team? Yeah, I think – fun initially and then I think there's sort of a time in the in within the sessions where there's a time where we've got to you know focus in and work and you know do the stuff that we need to do tactically technically whatever that may be so sort of like a bit of a fun sandwich probably like the start of it tends to be super fun the end of it tends to be super fun but the middle bit we've done the work so I think that we're just trying to look at it that way so yeah I, I can't not do it any other way I just think we have the best jobs in the world so just go and enjoy it Absolutely. So, you mentioned the World Cup and yeah. kind of the prep piece. So, looking back on the energy and like the hype that came out of the Men's World Cup, how do we carry that forward to the Women's World Cup this year? And like, like my team's going, is going, Sean's team's going, a couple other friends, you know, are, are going. Like, how do we carry that same energy? How do we carry that hype going into the, the women's game this summer? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the, the women's team themselves create it. You know, and if there was. They're a, they're a very unique set of human beings that just have this sort of circus mentality around them where everyone wants to be part of it, you know, and obviously being on the inside of that, I was, you never really truly appreciate it until you're there that, you know, they just have this want and desire to go and prove to the world that they are the best. Um, 
and I think everyone, especially Americans, can really jump on that train. So I think that, that that's a huge bit for me is this group of women will always go out there and with the want and desire that we are going to be the best. And I think anyone who doesn't want to get involved in that, they're like, there's something wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't want to go and get involved in that? So yeah, I think that's, they, they will definitely create it and just get on board and enjoy the ride. From the, from the U20 standpoint, how, what is kind of the, the progression of getting those players potentially ready for that senior level? Because, you know, we have fantastic players at the college level right now, and, but that's a whole other ball game. Yeah. playing for, for the, the best prize in, in the game. Yeah. And it, it's definitely a transition of maybe it's nerves or maybe it's just it's just a different feel. So kind of what did you feel like your role with your staff in the U20s of like how are we going to prep them if they do get that call up? I think honestly the putting them in situations that are reflective, like Sam Mewis is is quoted saying that her performances in the 2019 World Cup were set up by what she went through at the U17 and U20 level by exposing them to those world competitions I think that's a big part of it I also think the end of yourself is a big part of it it's so competitive every game matters like and that's a pretty unique thing in the women's game around the world like every game matters to, to every team but the level of competition in England is you've probably got four or five games where you really know you've got you're up against it um, and I think that in this country it's, it's every single game so yeah. I think that, that that really helps the younger ones and I mean I'd, we did the um, Con- we won the CONCACAF championship in early 2020 we never got the World Cup because of Covid but in that group was Sophia Smith Trinity Rodman Naomi Gurma who are all now you know, have made mm-hmm. that made that sort of step, and at the time they were the ones that we were saying, whenever whenever you're ready, they're ready, yeah. they're ready, and I think there'll be another generation of that group that are close to ready. They just haven't had the exposure yet. Mm. So, I think that it's it was a it was a really interesting job to have and see how these players take on that pressure of wearing the badge and the crest even though it's not in the biggest moments of seniors, it still means so much. I yeah. think just exposing them that on the world stage is a big part of the development. Was there any, you know, in, in that time, watching these other countries playing against them in the U20s, was there players from other countries that may not be well-known on the American side that maybe we should keep our eye out for when it comes to the next World Cup or beyond? I think a lot of them have already sort of graduated into their senior teams now. Canada had a few, like Jordan Heitemer, Jade Riviere. There was a lot that have already sort of made the step. Um, but yeah, I mean, the talent is flowing, you know, worldwide. There's mm. a lot of young, talented women's players because now they're, we're really starting to see sort of the work that's happened over the last 20 years that is starting to come to fruition where they get into that age now where you're going to start yeah. to see them like in England Leah Williamson and those types of people like they were super young when when really the game started to evolve so um, yeah I think uh, it's going to be a really interesting tournament I think it's going to be close and tight but yeah we'll see so gone are the days where you think back like March and some of the other ones like the in the national team at like 14 
So how does that pathway look now on the international stage? I think we see it here in the States, but what does that pathway look like now that's different than it was like 15, 20 years ago? I think multiple things have happened. I think one, players play longer, you know, so they're, they're playing now into their mid, late 30s because they have a little bit more support, facilities are better, you know, all that type of stuff, which enables them to be able to do that. So the, the need to find a 14-year-old isn't as high. So I think we can nurture them a little bit more. But I still have a philosophy, in my opinion, that if you're good enough, you're old enough. Like if if they are, if there is a matter anywhere in the world, and they're 14, I'm sure there will still be an area where someone can find them. And I think, obviously, in the US, it's a really interesting way of looking at it because the pool of players is so big, so big, and you're fighting for whatever 23, 26 spots on the senior women's national team and to, to think what they have to go through to get there I think that's honestly part of the special source of the US is that because that's not an easy journey for anybody when they get there the journeys that they've been on to fight off the thousands of other kids that they needed to to get that spot it sets them up that when these adversity times come or it's hard they've already been so through so much anyway so I, I do think that within this country I'll be I don't think we'll ever find the 14 year old playing for the national team but I do think they'll be drip fed a little bit of a this could be you but you've got to go and earn it type so I do think that that's part of the sort of DNA of the women's national team that you get here by earning your spot and I think that that that's sort of the special source that the national team has with the um I just have complete wait because I was going to let you go uh, go again oh you're good um, you're good no, you have to because I, I too many too many uh, hits to the to the brain. Um, with the kind of like that graduation process, like he mentioned about with the younger ones playing as a kind of in the same way into the, the pro leagues. I know you hear a lot of times like you'll hear in college basketball, you know this this person's NBA ready or this you know this person's ready to play in the NFL. For college coaches out there who may be listening to this and they're thinking, hey, I've got this player that could potentially continue playing after college in your experience like what would you tell that coach if like hey here are some things that you could help them with if like this is where they want to get to here's some things to make sure that they do this well or, or they read the game this way yeah I mean honestly I would the, the biggest thing is getting eyes on them yeah. I think brutally like get, get them seen and then within their development I think that the biggest development of a player from college to pro is making the right decision on the field more often than not mm-hmm. and doing it at a, at a pace that is quicker than anyone else around you. Yeah. And I think, forget all the other tactical, technical, blah, 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 blah. If you can work at, at, at that level of making really good decisions and making them quickly, mm-hmm. you're, the other side of it will come. And I think that's, whenever I work with younger players, whenever I co- coach with college athletes, that's always the, they're like oh is there any advice and I'm just like train at this pace mm-hmm. all the time and you you won't be you know I don't know you you take 10 shots but you're doing it at a slow pace you know you, you how quickly you release it how quickly you turn how quickly you take first touch to second touch if you do that at a pace initially you might go from scoring 10 out of 10 to scoring 5 out of 10 mm. but if you keep working on that at that 5 out of 10 pace you'll gain back up to 10 
So I, I feel like that's sort of my, that's what I try and tell everybody. I, I, for me, it's it's awesome because like Bethany Boucher played at NAI school and I'm at NAI school. And when I'm talking with recruits and, you know, they say, like, I think I may want to try to play beyond at some point. I, I always use Bethany as an example of like, hey, like you can come to a place like us and still make it. But like you said, I think it's it's that performing yeah. at just a different speed speed than others. Um, for you all, is is the you know we see kind of like with the the Premier League and, and with the scouting department and stuff like that. For you all, like how often, how much are you keeping your eye on? more than just the the power teams, I guess so to say, uh, in the college ranks or you know maybe a. Uh, high-level 19-year-old in a, in a club club team? Yeah, honestly, it's tough because just the, the mechanisms of way kids come into the league, I think once they get into college, it you, you sort of keep tabs on them. But honestly, until they sort of register for the draft, it's like, then I do a deep dive. Like, yeah. I really do a deep dive on them. Um, but now the mechanism that we have within the league is that, you know, kids who aren't in college, who are under 18 can bypass college and come in so it's it's opened the, the pathway yeah. of, of the pool really big so we're sort of an evolution honestly and I think like I said I think for coaches getting eyes on your players is the most vital part what was uh, you know maybe the, the most fun moment for you this past season where you know years and years from now and somebody just happens to mention you yeah. know the, the 2022 season that the first thing that maybe puts a smile on your face or makes you laugh probably away in LA I think uh, we were 2-0 down at halftime. We'd missed a penalty. And there was just this mentality in the in the locker room that we weren't going to lose. And we ended up scoring in the 88th minute to win it 3-2. So, and that, for anyone who hasn't been to Angel City, the, the atmosphere in the stadium is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and even though we were the away team, it... I sort of explain it. Seattle, Portland's like proper football. Like mm-hmm. fans, like there's hatred. We, you know, they score, it, we hate it. We score, they hate. It. And the fans sort of act in the same way. In LA, it's a pie. It's yeah. just a party fun atmosphere. And we scored in the 88th minute to beat the home team, and you wouldn't have known. Like mm-hmm. everyone's still going wild. So, yeah, it was, it's it's by far probably the best environment I've uh, been, definitely been involved in at club level for sure. What uh, for? I guess like for maybe a player who's listening to this, for you, like what is a, a joy in training of seeing a player maybe achieve something? or Because uh, obviously like you're getting players at such a different level than what we're getting at college or what a, a club coach is getting at level to where you know, we're working on an exercise and you, that player's kind of struggling with it and all of a sudden it's like they get it. And it's like, all right. For you, like how, how do you measure that? And how do you like, hey, like look at how much better you did this time than, than the previous one? Honestly, I... I I think games are it so yeah. for me I remember this year we did a little shooting practice drill thing and at the weekend following we ended up scoring literally really similar to the drill that we've done and I always say to the players like to me training is training and games are an evaluation of what you've done in that week mm-hmm. so it's not that you're bad or good but it's okay we worked on this this and this and let's evaluate how we did on this this yeah. and this not they you know whatever happened in the scoreline a little bit so I think that's the most pleasing thing for me yeah I think it's it's awesome you mentioned that because we added a new um, finishing activity to our pregame routine and we would do it even in training like I don't we either start with it or we finish it and a friend of mine he had introduced it to me and he was like we watched our scoring 
skyrocket because of this activity because it makes the kids think of they know like if I'm in this position I can hit the ball like this and and it, and it works and so I really think like we went from scoring six goals last season to 43 this year and I truly think that it's from that repetition of getting them in there and, and doing yeah. the same thing to where like they know like, oh yeah if I'm in this spot I can hit it like this and it's going to yeah. go um, I have to ask because anybody who knows me and follows me on social media I am the biggest biggest Rapino fan in the world so much that like I went crazy that my daughter put for to be her for her wax museum project and her teacher didn't give it to her and I was super pissed like I had already like found the pink wig we were gonna do we had the kit and everything so you know everybody has opinions on her whether good or bad what is like a a cool moment or something for you that you've been around her whether as a player maybe seeing her doing something on the side where you're like yeah like like she gets this or does she not get it at all? <laughs> I guess there's, I guess there's two sides to it. There's a lot. Um, I could, I could wax lyricals about, you yeah. know. Um, Pino, Pino. That's I my think, favorite gift. I think the, I think the biggest thing for me, and obviously I've now known her ten years, and I've seen her, you know, develop into this human being that she is. Yeah. Is she's never shied away from who she is. Yeah. I think that number one, it's that. She's no different today than she was when she I first met her in 2013. That's number one. She's so authentically herself. Um, and I think the cool thing about who she is is she really cares. Like she yeah. cares about the people around her. She cares about her teammates. Um, she she understands that she's carved out a you know a pretty cool space for herself in life. Yeah. And not not the, not everyone around her has the same you know liberties that she yeah. she has. So. She's not quiet about that, and I really respect that about her too. Um, and there's so many cool moments about Pino where she just just little things that are so huge for someone else that um, I'm not sure she uh, sometimes understands the gravity of what she's mm-hmm. given to someone else, but it, it just doesn't change because she's just this yeah. really smart, uh, intelligent uh, woman who knows what she truly believes in, um, knows that she's, you know, pretty privileged within what she's been able to carve out for herself, but also that there's not everyone around her doesn't have yeah. that privilege. And it might even be like a rookie, you know, who is earning crap money, and and she's been fortunate enough to be able to get herself in a position where she's earning more than that, yeah. and she appreciates that. So she helps them out, and she gives them things, and mm-hmm. she brings boxes into the locker room and hands out free gear, and you know, just yeah. little things that. People just wouldn't know about it, and yeah, there's a lot of things I could say about Pino, but the biggest thing I would say is that she's truly herself, she's an unbelievable person, she's so humble, and yeah, she's really, really funny. So. She's really good at trash talking. I'm, she's so, a great So the Louisville talker. game, there was um, there was a guy, so we were in the, the Waterford Inn, where you could stand right behind the goal, and there was a Louisville supporter um, that was just giving her the business, and... I think there was like two or three corners in a row right where we were at. And before the third kick, uh, I, I wish I could remember what he said. She came back with something that even my daughter looked over at the guy and was like, you got it, boy. And Megan just kind of like smiled a little bit. And the guy was like, respect. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm not supposed to like you, but I do. I do. I, I think the thing for me that with her, like I liked her as a player before, but as a father, the thing that I really enjoyed was in 2019 during the World Cup, you know, my, my wife and my daughter watching the U.S. play and my wife telling her, like, hey, like, these girls are badasses. Like, 
watch how they do things. Like they work so hard to get what they're at, and you know they don't care what people think. They're out there to play together and, and all this. And Quinn just kind of gravitated towards her. And the first time that you always hear kids say, like, you know, I want to be like so and so when I grow up, or I want to do this, I want to be an astronaut, whatever. Like our daughter's like, I want to be like Megan. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so cool because of I think the pathways that we've created in America now. So like. My daughter plays for Racing Louisville's Academy. We drive past Lynn Stadium just to get to the practice, and she's like, I'm going to play there one day. I want to be on the first team. And the only reason why she thinks that is because of what she has seen from these players. And I think it's just so awesome, like, what yourself and those players in this league have done to where you have created this idea for these little girls who are watching now and going, like, I want to be like that. Because I can remember being a kid, I want to be Michael Jordan when I grew up. And now that girls have that opportunity to look at an Alex Morgan, look at Megan Rapino. Um, we got to meet Rose Lavelle and my daughter was just like done for to where like I had to speak for her because Rose is and Rose is at least from what we see is very quiet. Very quiet. And Quinn was being even quieter. So it was really awkward conversation so I had to step in. Um, you know, I just it's it's so awesome like what the league does. And that's something I've told people for the longest time. Like if they've got I have so many friends that kids play soccer and I'm like Louisville's an hour and a half away from us. Go watch a game. Like, take your kids because, like, this league I really feel is geared towards the younger kids out there who are getting into sports or are sports fans. How much of that is a play into what you feel like you do as a coach with this team of, hey, like, there's a group of of youth out there who are watching us and and want to try to do what we're doing? Yeah, a little bit. I think, especially at the rain, we're very conscious of our sort of social impact. I think we're very conscious of our community impact. and you know, there's a platform that we have that we want to use in the best way possible, um, whilst also putting on a product that people want to come and see. So it's sort of like a fine balance. But yeah, I do think it's important. Well, we don't want to take up too much more of your time, but we want to thank you so much for coming on with us. Yeah, no worries. Uh, we'll uh, maybe we wait two more <laughs> years and come back. Yeah. Uh, but next year we'll be on the West Coast in Anaheim. Yeah, it, we'll have great. to have to link up again. But uh, good luck coming up in this thank season, you. and we'll be watching. Thanks, guys.